Acts chapter 8. We're going to continue our study in this wonderful and incredible book. If you're new to Redeemer, that's generally what we do around here is take books of the Bible and preach through them. And we are in Acts chapter 8. Again, Acts is the story of what happened after Jesus died, rose, and ascended into heaven. And on the whole, Jesus, the answer is Jesus gave his spirit who filled his people and they began to proclaim salvation in his name in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the remotest parts of the earth. And we are in this section in chapter 6, verse 8 through 931, which is the extension of the gospel into Judea, Samaria, and even into Galilee. Earlier in the book, the church had been birthed in Jerusalem. It had expanded in Jerusalem. And now in this section of the book, it extends to Judea, Samaria, and even Galilee. If this will work. Oh, it worked earlier. Oh, no. There we go. And it's through three main characters. Showed you that several weeks ago in chapter 6, verse 8, Stephen. In chapter 8, verse 5, Philip. And then in chapter 9, verse 1, we'll get there next week, Saul, who will be the Apostle Paul. And if you remember about Stephen a couple of weeks ago, he, um, he taught us at least two lessons. That sermon he preached of a God who's never been tied to any one place, who's always been on the move. He taught us that wherever God's people goes, God goes with them. And that's an incredible comfort to you and me, and it ought to be a boon as we leave this place and head out into our neighborhoods, workplaces, wherever God might take us, wherever God's people go, God goes. And in the death that he died, whenever God's people die, Jesus receives them. We put those two things together, and we said, you know, if I go out in great boldness and courage, knowing that God goes with me, what happens if I die? You're received by Jesus. You'll remember from the story, Stephen himself was stoned to death. And he looked into the heavens and saw Jesus Christ standing at the right hand of God to receive him home. And then a couple of weeks ago, just before Easter, Matt got us started into the story of Philip. And that's where we want to continue this morning. I want to read where we are in this story now, make four points, and then close with some so what's. Let's read it in chapter 8, verse 26, down through 40. But an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, saying, Get up and go south to the road that descends from Jerusalem to Gaza. That is a desert road. So he got up and went. And there was an Ethiopian eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. And he had come to Jerusalem to worship. And he was returning and sitting in his chariot and was reading the prophet Isaiah. Then the spirit said to Philip, go up and join this chariot. Philip ran up and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and said, do you understand what you are reading? And he said, well, how could I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of scripture which he was reading was this. He was led as a sheep to slaughter. 
And as a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he does not open his mouth. In humiliation, his judgment was taken away. Probably the idea, in humiliation, justice was denied him. Who will relate this generation? Or probably, what kind of generation would do such a thing? For his life is removed from the earth. The eunuch, answer, or the eunuch answered Philip and said, Please tell me, of whom does the prophet say this? Of himself or of someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, he preached Jesus to him. As they went along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, Look, water, what prevents me from being baptized? Now, verse 37, probably you have brackets around it. What that means is it's not contained in the best and the earliest manuscripts. Most of the scholars believe it was not original. So we're going to skip over verse 37. So verse 36, look, water, what prevents me from being baptized? And he ordered the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip as well as the eunuch, and he baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord snatched Philip away. And the eunuch saw him no more, but went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azotus, about 20 miles north. And as he passed through, he kept preaching the gospel to all the cities until he came to Caesarea, another 50 miles north or so. First, let's notice his pioneer spirit in keeping with God's passion. What is God's passion as we see it all throughout the scriptures, but certainly as we see it here in the book of Acts? God's passion is you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea and Samaria, and to the remotest parts of the earth. That did not begin with Jesus having risen from the dead on the mountain with his disciples. All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations. Sometimes we incorrectly think that the Great Commission started in Matthew 28 when Jesus gave it. But he's just reiterating what was God's purposes from the very beginning all the way back in Genesis chapter 12 when God chose Abram and said, I'm going to bless you And through you, in particular, through one of your descendants, I'm going to bring blessing to the entire world. I'm going to bless the nations through you. That was God's passion. And no doubt Philip had heard it from the apostles, and he had begun to digest it. And that passion of God's became his pioneering spirit. A couple of weeks ago, Matt showed us chapters, chapter 8, verses 1 through 25. And if you'll remember, that was Philip taking the gospel to the Samaritans. Remember who the Samaritans were? They're the half-breed Jews. You had the Jews, and then Matt reminded us that in 722 B.C., the Assyrians came in and destroyed the northern kingdom of Israel, took thousands of the Israelites away into exile, left some of them, and then some of the Assyrians moved in, began to intermarry with them and have children with them, and those half-breeds, 
half Jewish, half Assyrians, came to be known as the Samaritans. And there was 700 years of enmity. Remember Matt said, are you a Yankees fan? Then who do you hate? The Red Sox. Are you an Aggie? Then who do you hate? The Longhorns. Are you a Jew? Then who do you hate? The Samaritans. Some of you are familiar with the New Testament. Remember the Apostle John, the beloved disciple? The Apostle of Love, he's sometimes called because of the great themes of 1 John. In Luke chapter 9, the Apostle of Love, John said to Jesus, do you want us to call down fire from heaven on the Samaritans? They did not like each other. And yet, who's the one? When it came time, having been birthed in Jerusalem and expanded within Jerusalem, and then Stephen preaches of a God who's on the move, who's never been tied to any one place, wherever God's people go, God goes. Who's the one who says, I'm going to the hated Samaritans? It was Philip. And he went and preached Christ to them. And they believed. And the church in Jerusalem had to, wait a minute, what's going on here? Where did Philip go? Who did he talk to? Peter, John, run down there to Samaria and see what's going on. And of course, Peter and John showed up and the rest is history. Philip was one of these pioneering spirits who said, this gospel is not just for the Jews. We're going further. And here, God calls him to go proclaim the gospel to an Ethiopian eunuch. It's probably modern day Sudan where he's coming from. And this this brother was African, different race, different ethnicity. And yet when he's given the opportunity, this gospel is for everyone. This gospel is universal in its application. No one is to be denied the grace and the mercy of God. And so Philip will be the one to share the gospel with this brother. Is God calling you and me to have somewhat of a pioneering spirit? A willingness to trust God and to get out of our comfort zones into what some of us might call the zone of the unknown. That's scary. The comfort zone was Jerusalem among the Jews. And yet Philip says, I'm going to get outside the comfort zone. I'm going to go to Samaria. I'm going to go to the Gaza Road. And when given an opportunity, I'll share the gospel with this man. Who might God be calling you to? Second thing that Philip, I think, teaches us, his sensitivity and obedience to God's leadership. We noted it earlier, I think maybe it's worth noting, Philip probably, Philip was, was an Hellenistic Jew himself. He had not grown up within, in Jerusalem, not even within Israel. He, was, he grew up outside the borders of Israel. And so he had relationships with Gentiles that maybe many of the Jews didn't have. He had, he had grown up there with friendships and the culture and the like. And so he had a tendency to be more comfortable with this kind of thing. But certainly he would have learned from the apostles about the Great Commission and about what God's purposes were with the gospel to go to all 
the peoples. And he was one of the seven that had been chosen along with Stephen. And so he's probably good buddies with Stephen. And he probably was there when Stephen proclaimed his message about a God who is on the move. And if you remember Stephen's sermon, it was soaked in the Old Testament scriptures. So Stephen has God's leadership in him through the word of God which he had been exposed to. He had heard and he had learned of God's desires to take this gospel, not just to Jerusalem, but to Judea, Samaria, and the remotest parts. No doubt Peter or John or one of the twelve had said, you should have been there on the mountain with us when Jesus told us to go all the nations. He had God's word. And it must be that he also had a sensitivity, I think, to the Holy Spirit within him building upon that word. Now, verse 26 is a whole lot, I think, more than you and I might get. In verse 26, an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip saying, and down in verse 29, then the Spirit said to Philip, I think God speaks to us these days through His Word and any, if you will, subjective impressions that we might get from the Spirit, I like to to try my best to make sure they are tied to and coming from the Word of God. But His ear is inclined to the Lord. What would you have me do Lord. And when he gets a sense rising up from what he's learned about God and God's purposes, he is obedient. Verse 26, an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip saying, verse 27, so he got up and went. Verse 29, then the Spirit said to Philip, verse 30, Philip ran up. He wants to be not merely a hearer of the word, but a doer of the word. He doesn't want to build his house upon the sand. Remember that in Matthew chapter 7, the one who builds his house upon the sand, who is that? It's the one who hears the word, but does nothing with it. He wants to build his house upon the rock. Who's that? Jesus said, it's the one who hears my word and acts upon it. This man, Philip, knew God, and he knew God's will, and he wanted to obey. Here's another thing about him. His consistent message, Jesus Christ. Most of the commentators will note the differences that Philip is having to deal with in the early part of chapter 8 and in the latter part of chapter 8. In the early part of chapter 8, when he went to the Samaritans, in terms of race, these were half Jews, half Gentiles. They were from Asia, and yet here in the latter part of the chapter, he is going to an Ethiopian, African man. So on the one hand, 
half Jew, half Gentile. On the other hand, a black African man. The difference in rank. In the earlier chapter, when he goes among the Samaritans, apparently these are just ordinary citizens. This Ethiopian, it appears that he is a man of distinguished public service. He was employed by the crown there in Ethiopia. He's the court official of Candace, who's queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. This fellow was quite important. So difference in race, difference in rank. They note the difference of religion. The Samaritans revered Moses and the Pentateuch, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, but they did not revere the prophets. And here you have this Ethiopian who is digging in deep to Isaiah, one of the prophets, and wondering what it is that God is saying to him. You'll remember from a couple of weeks ago, the Samaritans, they were given over to Simon the magician. He had captured their imaginations, and they loved this guy, and they were looking to this guy. One guy, in summing up the Samaritans, said at least they were apparently, in terms of their religion, unstable. But here is this Ethiopian with a strong attachment to Judaism. In the book of Acts, these kind of individuals are often called God-fearers. They're not Jews, they're Gentiles. And they haven't proselytized to Judaism, at least not yet. They haven't become Jews. But they're attracted to Judaism's God and to his ways. And here is a man who's come from modern-day Sudan, a thousand miles south, to worship the God of Israel. Verse 27, he had come to Jerusalem to worship. And here is a man who on his way back is opening up the scriptures of the Jews, Isaiah, to learn what he can. If the Samaritans were unstable, this man was a seeker of truth. The point is, despite those differences, his message is the same in 8 Five, Philip went down to the city of Samaria and began proclaiming Christ to them in 8.12. But when they believed, Philip preaching the good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ. Both of those among the Samaritans proclaiming Christ to them, proclaiming, preaching the name of Jesus Christ to them. And then when he is among this man, with this man, then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning from this scripture, he preached Jesus to him. No matter what the race, no matter what the rank, no matter what the religion, no matter if it's a big crowd in Samaria or just one man, his message is going to be the same. Jesus Christ. And then finally, his adaptable methods, and that follows on that same point. Among the Samaritans, we might call it mass evangelism. He comes to town and the masses gather as he's performing the miracles and he's able to proclaim Jesus to them. And just the same, he's able with one fellow sitting in a chariot to answer his questions about Jesus. 
many have noted the similarities between this story and the story of Jesus with those two disciples on the road to Emmaus. If you're not familiar with that story, you can go read it this afternoon in Luke chapter 24, but some of you are familiar with it. You remember that story? It's after Jesus has died upon the cross. And uh, so many of the disciples of Jesus had put their hope in him, and now here he is dead. And apparently these two disciples have picked up their ball and they're going home. They're headed back to Emmaus. And they're sad. Their hopes were in Jesus, the Messiah, and yet now he's been crucified upon a cross. You'll remember Jesus appears to them and they're not sure who it is. They don't know that it's him. And he hears them discussing what they're discussing and he asks them, what they're talking about. Here you have in Acts chapter 8, you have a man, the Ethiopian, who's on a road, and Philip asks him, do you understand what you're reading? So back to the men on the Emmaus road. They're on the road. They're talking amongst themselves. Jesus asked, what are you talking about? One of those guys responded to Jesus with a question. And here this man responds to Philip with a question, how can I unless someone guides me? In both instances, you have bewildered men. They're interested, but they're perplexed. And in both instances, if you remember the road to Emmaus, Jesus begins to talk to them out of the Scriptures. Beginning with Moses and the prophets, he began to show them all the places in the scripture that pointed to him. And here Philip takes this man right here in the scriptures and says, let me tell you how this is pointing to Jesus. So there's a turning to scripture, there's a, a gospeling Jesus. I use that, that phrase on purpose because down there in verse 35 then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning from this scripture, he gospeled Jesus to him. That's how it literally reads. He gospeled Jesus to them. And that's what Jesus did with those two men on the road to Emmaus. Beginning with the scriptures, he began to tell them about himself. How he had to come and suffer and rise Again, And then you'll remember the story from the road to Emmaus. Once those fellows understood who Jesus was, oh my goodness, this is Jesus. What happened? Jesus disappeared. And what happens here after this man comes to faith in Jesus? Verse 39, when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord snatched Philip away. Before I move on to my three so what? I want to stop here for just a minute and look back at verse 32 and 33. This man was reading from Isaiah the prophet 700 years, written 700 years before Jesus Christ comes on the scene. And he's reading about the servant of the Lord. Here's what he reads. He was led as a sheep to slaughter. And as a lamb before its shearer is silent, he does not open his mouth. 
He's reading about an innocent, silent sufferer. In verse 33, he reads about a man who is humiliated and whose justice is denied him. And he's reading about one that the author of Isaiah can't believe that his generation would do such a thing to such a one. That's probably who will relate his generation. What kind of generation would do such a thing? And the answer is a wicked generation would take an innocent man, deny him justice, and remove his life from the earth. And the eunuch says to Philip, please tell me, of whom does the prophet say this? Of himself or of someone else? There was great expectation among the Jewish people of the Davidic Messiah who would come, defeat their enemies, and establish the kingdom of Israel. And that the people of God would rule with him. There was also this suffering servant of Isaiah the prophet begins in Isaiah chapter 42 and runs throughout into chapters 52 and 53. And it speaks of this servant of the Lord who will suffer. And the Jewish people didn't put these two together. The the conquering Davidic Messiah and the suffering servant of the Lord. And they weren't sure who this was. Did it refer to Isaiah the prophet himself? Was he the servant of the Lord who would suffer? Did it refer to the nation of Israel? Who did it refer to? It certainly couldn't refer to the conquering, victorious, Davidic Messiah. But surely it did. Jesus put these two together often when he would talk about his suffering. And that the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Verse 35, Philip opened his mouth and beginning from this scripture, he preached Jesus to him. Friends, maybe you're here today and you're not a follower of Jesus. You're not a Christian. Jesus is the fulfillment of Old Testament promise. And he's the one who came and died upon a cross for your sins and mine. He himself was innocent. He never sinned. And he went to the cross as a lamb to be slaughtered. And while being reviled, he did not revile in return. And while being crushed, he uttered no threats. He gave himself in your place and for your sins. His life was removed for you. Trust Him as your Savior. 
trust him as your Savior. He has come for you. Now, no doubt, Philip didn't just stick right there. He probably went to the larger context of Isaiah 52 and 53. He may have even gone a little bit further into Isaiah 56. You don't have to turn there, but let me read this. This this man is a eunuch. He's been castrated, and they were often employed for various things. But one thing about them, in Deuteronomy chapter 23, verse 1, it says of eunuchs that they are kind of pushed out of the, of, of the worship of Israel. They had to stay on the outskirts of it all. This is a man who loved the God of Israel, and he's a Gentile. This is a man who traveled a long way to come to Jerusalem to worship the God of Israel. This is a man who's longing to read the Scriptures of Israel and to understand, yet at the same time, he understands that he's on the outskirts. But he's reading Isaiah 52 and 53, and Philip is, is proclaiming to him that this is fulfilled in Jesus. He's the one who came and died for you. And maybe he pushed on to chapter 56. Thus says the Lord, preserve justice and do righteousness. My salvation is about to come and my righteousness to be revealed. How blessed is the man who does this and the son of man who takes hold of it, who keeps from profaning the Sabbath and keeps his hand from doing any evil. Let not the foreigner, let not the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord say, the Lord will surely separate me from his people. So don't let the foreigner say that. Because of what this suffering servant is going to come and do and accomplish, don't let the foreigner say that the Lord will surely separate me from his people. Neither let the eunuch say, behold, I am a dry tree. You can probably see the metaphor there. They were, they were thought to be dry trees. Neither let the eunuchs say, Behold, I am a dry tree. For thus says the Lord, To the eunuchs who keep my Sabbath and choose what pleases me and hold fast my covenant, to them I will give in my house and within my walls a memorial and a name better than that of the sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name which will not be cut off. That's pretty cool. That's an expectation for those who are on the outskirts that because of what this suffering servant will come and do, that they will be a part of the people of God, no longer pushed aside and out. If you're here today and you think, man, that gospel of Jesus sounds good, but it could never be for somebody like me. This gospel of Jesus is for everybody. No matter who you are, and no matter what you've done, and no matter where you've been. The grace of God is greater still. Don't let anything keep you from turning to Him. John Stott, on this consistent message and his adaptable method, said this. 
It is this combination of change in relation to contexts and methods. So he had the different context in the, the group there in Samaria and this one man on the road. And the methods, mass evangelization one-on-one and changelessness in relation to the gospel itself. He preaches Jesus to them and he preaches Jesus to him. Together with the ability to discern between them, which is one of Philip's abiding legacies to the church. This man, as I said, he's a model for the missional life. So what? Here's a few that I ponder. Let's go to the Bible with intent to obey. And I, get, I simply get that from the angel of the Lord spoke, and so he arose and went. Then the Spirit said to Philip, go up and join this chariot. Philip ran up and heard him reading the prophet. He is responsive to the word of God. Again, he does not want to merely be a hearer of the word, but a doer of the word. When he senses that God is leading him to do something, he wants to obey I said this years ago, but it comes back to me as I've pondered this. At Dallas Theological Seminary from the late, great Howard Hendricks, we learned observation plus interpretation plus application equals life change. That in Bible study, we come and we observe all that we can, and then we do our very best to interpret it according to its original meaning. And then in light of that, we we try to apply it to our lives. And when we do so, then comes life change. That's good and doesn't need anything added to it. But if, if maybe I was pressed, I might say, you know, we ought to add at the very beginning of that intent to obey. That I'm, that I'm coming to the very word of God with an intent to hear from him because I want to obey So when we come to hear the scriptures preached or taught, and when we read them ourselves, and when we dig in to study, when we memorize scripture, when we meditate upon it, let's, let's, let's do all of that by his grace with an, in, with an intention that I want to know you, and I want to love you, and I want to hear from you, and I want to obey you. Second, let's immerse ourselves in the gospel story so we can tell it. Um, Philip could tell the story. Whether he was standing before a group of people or whether he was just one-on-one in this old fellow's chariot, in his carriage, he could tell the story of Jesus. Most of you, maybe, I don't know, probably won't have opportunities up in front of a big old group of people. But certainly some one-on-one opportunities, maybe in some small group opportunities. But just the question for all of us is, when given the opportunity, can you tell the old, old story of Jesus and his love? Can you tell the story of Jesus? If you saw somebody reading their Bible at the coffee shop, and, and if you sensed, you know, I know what God calls me to do, I know... As the Father sent me, so I send you, Jesus said. Oh, man. And if you sat down with that person, you said, hey, I saw you, I see you reading the Bible there. Um, do you understand what you're reading? And if that person said, how could I unless somebody guides me? 
would you be able to, just in a few minutes, say, you know what, let me, let me tell you what you're reading. Let me tell you about the big old story of God and his great love through his son, Jesus Christ. If you can do that, wonderful, and may God give you and me open doors galore. If you can't do that, immerse yourself in the gospel story. Say, how do you do that? Well, you can come visit with me and I can help you. And just this morning, I googled um, different ways to share the gospel. And there's plenty of opportunity online to just learn different ways to share the gospel. So those opportunities are there. If you say, you know what, I couldn't do that. I can't do that. I need some help with that. Please come see me. Give me a call. Shoot me an email. And then this one doesn't so much fit into this message this morning, but I want to say it in light of a verse 36 and 38. If you believe but haven't been baptized, get baptized. Get baptized. You might not know it being here at Redeemer Community Church, but you are at a Baptist church. You're at a good old Southern Baptist church. And one of the things we believe is in believer's baptism. And so we don't baptize infants or babies here at Redeemer. We believe that the New Testament is quite clear that a person is to come to faith in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of their sins and then get baptized as a public demonstration of that to any and to all who would be there. Have you put your faith in Jesus? And since then, have you been baptized? Now, I'm a pretty nice guy, and so usually I can hem and haw and, you know, but if you say, Mitch, just shoot us straight. If I've put my faith in Jesus but haven't been baptized, as you read the Bible, what would you say? You need to be baptized. In order to be saved, not at all. We're saved by the grace of God through faith alone in Jesus Christ alone. We're not saved in, by faith plus baptism or faith plus anything else. We're saved by grace through faith in Jesus. And then, as an act of obedience, we're to be baptized we're to get down in that water in front of, if there's three people there, or 150 or 300. Friends, family, church family, people in from the street, whoever's there, to go down into that water, symbolizing that you've died with Jesus Christ and to be raised up to newness of life. It's saying to everybody there, I'm a follower of Jesus. So if you haven't, been baptized as a believer, give me a call. We would love to celebrate that act of obedience with you. It's time to go. May God give us a spirit like Philip. And may he use us by his grace to lead others to faith in Jesus. Let's pray together. Lord, indeed, this man has an enduring legacy for the church. 
He is Philip the Evangelist who takes the gospel to the Samaritans, who obeys the Lord and faithfully proclaims the gospel. May it be so with us. Lord, as we break and as we scatter, would you help us live with with a sense of expectation and anticipation that you want to use us for the sake of the gospel, where we live, where we work, where we play, where, where we passion. You want to use us. Help us to Let's to pray for the men and women in our lives that are far from God. And help us to listen to them as we just visit. Help us to serve them. Give us opportunities to share our story of grace. And then help us to tell the story of grace. Lord, would you use us like you used Philip that we might share the good news of Jesus and people would believe and go away as this man did with great joy. We'll pray this in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.